Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend so far. I'm with you until seven this Saturday morning. After six, I'm in conversation. But first, it's the best of Steve Allen. My weekly roundup of some of the best bits from my early breakfast shows, starting with this. A difficult week for many people. Um, a worse week for those people who are mourning loved ones. Uh, there's no answers. There are plenty of questions. And uh, somebody uh, wrote to me and uh, said uh, thank you to you and all the other radio presenters for handling the reporting and commentating of this week's heart-wrenching events in such a professional and sensitive way. I don't think there's any other way you could do it. I, I seriously don't think there's any other way you could do it. You know, because we all hope that we would never be in such a position to actually be mourning somebody who has fallen victim to these uh, these sick people, these sick people out there who, you know, just seem hell-bent on doing something just to to ruin everybody else's life. You know, as far as I'm concerned, you could screw up your own life, but sod off and leave everybody else alone. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Spare a thought for little Bradley Lowry, the little boy who's, uh, who's terminal. He's only five, I think. I think he's five. And... Um, and it's just, it's such a shame because his uh, illness, and it's quite rare, has taken a turn for the worst. His mother said yesterday that uh, they've discovered more tumours and um, it doesn't look good. So I think he's in the final stages of his life. I mean, he was looking a bit tired the other day. I mean, he's, he's done terribly well. He's done terribly well, but the cancer has spread. He doesn't have uh, long to live. Um, his family has said they're heartbroken. I think we're all heartbroken. Absolutely all of us. So he's getting palliative uh, care at home. He's going for radiotherapy uh, this week and uh, next week, but that's to control the pain in the hope that they get him comfortable. And uh, and the mum says lots of people are asking how long has he got to live? And I said exactly the same when my mother was diagnosed with cancer. I can remember saying to the, uh, to the consultant, um, how long has she got? And he said, don't know how long's a piece of string and I said I don't I don't understand what that is he said you've got to wait for it to go through various stages you know so you know your mother will feel fine and then we'll 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 put her on morphine and uh, steroids and she'll feel fine and she'll think that she's getting better but in fact she isn't he said and then she'll become more tired and then she'll spend more time in in bed and um, I mean you know there's uh, they they're going to set up they hope a Bradley Lowry Foundation and all that money raised will go to uh, towards the new charity. I mean, I noticed that his birthday party last week had fire eaters, a fun fair, marquee, jugglers and stilt walk. He's only a little boy. I know that there are other little children uh, out there who probably are also in, in this terrible situation. And that's when you question, excuse me, is the God? Where are you? Hello? Are you listening? There's a little boy down here dying. He might not make it, uh, you know, over the next uh, couple of weeks. You know, is that a good thing? Are we supposed to sort of, you know, sort of develop our religion and develop our um, our loyalty to a particular religion? Because, frankly, I think it's deserting us left, right and centre. Otherwise, how would somebody be allowed to actually blow up 22 people? How is that possible? It's, it's, it's just all, there's so many awful things, so many awful blooming stories in the in the papers today. Stefan says, I feel hurt about the innocent people that died and the poor boy with cancer. If I could save him in the innocent, I would have had a, a good day. Yeah, the trouble is, the, the only thing you can say is that those people who died in that bomb blast, you pray that it was quick. You pray that it was quick, that they didn't know anything about it. In the case of little Bradley, he's been living with this for some time. I don't know 
if you explain to a five-year-old about death and about dying, or whether you just go, you're not very well, and we're going to do everything we can. I mean, I don't know whether they, I don't know whether five-year-olds are capable of understanding something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to think probably they're not, and they wouldn't tell him what because otherwise he, you know, little five-year-old who's ill going into depression would not be the best thing. So that's why I'm sort of inclined to think that maybe the family wouldn't have said anything to him, and they would have sort of just said, you know, you're not very well. We know that. We know you get tired, but we're going to try and make you better. And then gradually he'll just slip away from them. But the trouble is because we've all got the images of little Bradley, like we've got the images in our mind of the people who died in the in the bomb blast, that will stay with you. That will stay with you for a long, long time. And if you're the parent of those people who died in the bomb blast or the parents of little Bradley, that's because he's lived his life in the media. You know, he's lived his life in the media. And, and so that's why we're so familiar. I mean, you can't really picture him without Jermaine Defoe. I mean, they got on so, so well. I mean, dear Lord above. You know, he carried him out there. He was with him in hospital and everything else. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I think that, you know, when the inevitable happens, and it will happen, uh, Jermaine Defoe, I think, will be one of those there. I know it's awful to sort of predict things, but I suspect that Jermaine Defoe will be taking a lead role because uh, they just got... I mean, you know, you can't describe what it is that uh, that makes kids go to somebody. He was a football hero... And uh, to him, that was everything. But I don't think little Bradley, please God, doesn't know how ill he is. I think he's just ill and he gets tired. But uh, it's uh, because they've now found more tumours. It means that the cancer's taken a hold. And, you know, through most people's bodies, it works fast. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's the only thing we need to pump as much money into research as we possibly can because we don't know anything about cancer, because as fast as you clear it up, it it learns how to combat and how to multiply and how to take over. Because after my mum had it first time round and they and they cleared it, there's always a little tiny bit that's left, a little tiny bit that hides. And all of a sudden it goes, right, so you did this, I'm going to do that. And and it came back again. And secondary cancer is always the worst one. This little boy's got a, you know, a serious illness. It's very rare. But uh, it means that his little body must be racked with so much pain at the moment. So we can only uh, do our prayers and keep our fingers crossed that uh, it's, a, it's a peaceful ending. That's all you can hope for. This is LBC with Steve Allen. A lot of people talking about news blackouts. You can't do it. That's the trouble with the internet. That's why, you know, people get caught out. They think they can write things. Eamon Holmes uh, tweeted the other day about PC Plod in Manchester, without failing to realise the uh, the sort of implications of calling him PC Plod. It was, it was, he obviously, uh, he retaliates very, he doesn't take criticism very well at all, Eamon. He gets very, very angry about it. He's just a little fat man who gets angry. Funny haircut, sort of. You know, not quite as bad as Kim Jong-un, but, you know, we're sort of borderline there. He sort of teases it into place. But... Uh, he tweeted PC Plod and people, you know, decided they didn't like him saying that, that it was disrespectful. And said so he went, so eventually he did do the sorry bit. He must be gutted that he wasn't invited onto this morning and they offered it to Rylan. I mean, really. Although the good news is that Loose Women are going to be doing a special edition of the programme. Perhaps they'll all leave. Uh, but no, they're going to bring on their other halves. You know how dull that's going to be. So you'll see Eamon Holmes again, again, you know. Jinky's aunt's phone just goes, I'll do it which is the same as, I think, uh, quite a number of other people in the business. <laughs> you know, could you... Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll, I'll do that one. Thank you very much indeed. Whereas me, I go, no, not remotely interested. Yeah. Yes, an ex-LBC presenter springs to mind. But 
And uh, who else is going to be on? Oh, yes, um, Katie Price's uh, husband, little Kieran. That's the handbag she drags around with her. Uh, that's the one who slept with two of her best friends. Uh, so that's a real result. Anybody else would have got rid of him, but she's so desperate to find anybody who is remotely interested. The only time she can find people is when she gets drunk and um, sort of drapes herself over people and go, you have to Google me and you'll know who I am, Katie Price. Glam- glamour model. You're another body. Glamour model. And they go, you're just a drunk, aren't you? No, don't touch the hair. It's not all mine. Don't touch the hair. Glamour model. It's my husband, Kieran Haler. Don't laugh. <laughs> Slept with two of my friends. I made him suffer. And who else they got on there? Do you think we'll have Colleen Nolan's husband on there, being embarrassed by her? I bet not. I bet not. Uh, Jane Moore's husband. Will Gary go on there? I bet not. I've had me thinking, Janet Street Porter, because, like, Janet Street Porter... Uh, don't have nobody like last husband went in 1999 which long time ago but uh, Janet so Stacey Solomon's boyfriend Joe Swash that's the current one uh, Katie Price's husband Kieran Ruth Langsford's Eamon Holmes and special guest stars Ola and James Jordan Blah. thank you very much indeed no Ola Jordan See, it's a shame really because we were looking forward to Colleen Nolan dragging her other half out which wouldn't have been happening it's, it's all the ones some of the men have, have agreed to take part in a uh, a lie detector test. There's no holding back as the couples discuss their housework habits, bedroom antics. Well, I suppose Jordan will just have to play Kieran's porno vi- video and he can play her porno video, so that'll be fine, isn't it? Uh, he'll open up about his infidelity. Oh, they must have already recorded this. Must have been done already. As Katie Price in an emotionally charged interview. <laughs> Vivian Summers says, if Katie Price is your guardian angel, you're seriously in trouble, surely. <laughs> I agree, I agree. So Kieran, close to tears, and he describes Katie as his guardian angel. Stupid man, honestly. What a thicko. That's why we can laugh at these people. He did sleep with two of her friends. They were obviously a lot better, because he went back for seconds. And uh, so he's going to open up about his inf- infidelity. <laughs> I mean, given the choice, what would you rather sleep with? A drag queen or a proper woman? <laughs> I rest my case, ladies and gentlemen. But it's interesting, isn't it? They're going to put Joe Swash on there again. This is the man who struggles with the English language as we speak it in this country. Because, like, yeah, what? Sorry, what? Woman. Sex. Sweating. You watch him sweat. If he's wearing one of his dark shirts again, Joe Swash will sweat like a pig. I guarantee it. But, no, I'd rather see... I mean, Eamon Holmes again? I mean, dear God, do we really want to know about the bedroom antics with him and Ruth? Lovely though she is, please. You know, I don't think... I mean, that's something not to watch, isn't it, really? something. And also, Colleen, go on, bring the old man down. Go on, let him really explain the truth of it. And Janet Street Porter, you could do something. At least Gloria Honeyford has had the decency to say, I don't do things like that, you know, because that's the way you don't do it. Stephen Way and her... They're very, very happy, blissfully happy for years and years and years. But, uh, you know, who's interested in Kieran Haler? It'll just turn into the Katie Price programme again, and you know how blooming boring that is, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Sounds, says Peter, like a great reality show title, Keeping Up With Stacey Solomon's Boyfriends. Actually, the funny thing is, she's quite... What she's doing with him, I've got no idea. I really don't know what she's doing with him. He's sort of... He's, he's the lame duck of television shows. They don't really know what, what to do with him. And so they sort of... Um, I don't know. They just don't know. Oh, I don't know what I've done here. What have I done? Oh, you silly boy. Wait a minute. Come here, come here. Sorry, I'm just moving my mouse across. Oh, it's better I've done it. Do you know, I get, I get, I, the other day I was trying to get back onto a page on the, uh, on the internet 
and, uh, and I couldn't work it out. Sometimes it's luck and judgment. You click on someone and went, oh, it's gone back to normal again. Which I thought was really, uh, really great. So keeping up with Stacey Solomon's boyfriends. Thank you. Uh, maybe David Attenborough will be brought in to narrate the antics of Eamon Holmes and Ruth. And here comes the, uh, the overweight Irishman. He's coming towards her now. She's turning. She's seen him. She's seen him. She's seen him. He's getting closer and closer. And no, he's gone straight past her. He's gone straight past her. Obviously, he's seen something better in the distance. You just imagine, can't you? I don't know if quite funny. You could, you could narrate anything, I think, nowadays to make it sound uh, funny. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Now, sometimes a story pops up. It pops up on the internet and you look at it and you think, no, that can't be true. That must be it. That must be a hoax. And of course, in the days which we have at the moment of fake news, you have to double check everything because sometimes it seems so fantastic that nobody would be that stupid as to do something as the story I'm about to tell you. Uh, This came to light yesterday. Because over on Radio Leeds, it's a BBC local radio station, you know we don't hold them in too high regard, Um, they have a a programme. Well, in fact, they've got a number of programmes. I'm led to believe there's hardly anybody working at BBC local radio stations over the weekend. It'll just be like one man and his dog. Anyway, during the Sunday morning show yesterday, hosted by guest presenter Nathan Turvey... Nathan Turvey normally works for BBC York, which is another local radio station. He's, uh, he's a person who's read the news uh, on Five Live. I mean, he's supposed to be some sort of journalist. I was absolutely amazed at what unfolded. I've heard it. I cannot play it to you uh, under, under basically the Decency Act. Uh, during the Sunday morning show, hosted by the aforementioned Nathan Turvey, listeners were told to try and figure out who a well-known person was from a series of musical clues. And thus unfolded the story. Nathan Turvey, who must have either himself or had somebody else put this together, put together a series of clues so that you could identify the famous person, the well-known person. So the first piece of music he played, and it was all clipped together, was Mott the Hoople, All the Young Dudes. The second piece of music that he played was the theme from the Brady Bunch. Alarm bells ringing. The third piece of music was the Smiths' Suffer Little Children. And finally, the fourth piece of music was Psycho Killer, which was by Talking Heads. I mean, seriously, you couldn't make it up. You really couldn't. Uh, Suffer Little Children, incidentally, by the Smiths, was written about the Moors' murders. The the answer they were looking for was Ian Brady. I mean, either Nathan Turvey had lost all sense of what remained of his brain, or somebody was having a joke thinking that nobody would notice it. Well, in fact, people did. Uh, One listener called it sickening and said he'd complained. And, in fact, a number of people in the business have already picked up on somebody who was using... uh, Ian Brady, as a competition answer, and then playing clips of music. I mean, to actually play the Brady Bun. I mean, I can't, in my own mind, and I have to sort of keep reminding myself that this really did go out. It's been removed since from their website. No apologies from Nathan Turvey at all. Quite clearly, I mean, a man who's not going to be in the business for very much longer. Um, When I first heard it, said one man, I thought it can't be Ian Brady. Who'd be that sick? Nathan Turvey. 
Unless it was an existing competition, which they'd already had because he was a stand-in presenter. But he was the presenter. I mean, surely he would have said something on his Twitter feed about, I apologise to the families of the victims of Ian Brady for even, even thinking about doing it as a competition. No, no apology, no nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, there were comments from people on Facebook saying, is, is it true? Some people say, you know, the station was sick. But, well, of course they were. They were totally sick. You know, I mean, words fail me for once. Uh, it's since been deleted from Facebook, but it's still available to listen to on the BBC iPlayer. Not anymore, it's not. They've taken it off there pretty quickly. Uh, the whereabouts of one of Myra Hindley and uh, Brady's victims, Keith Bennett, was never released. A spokeswoman for the BBC says it's clearly unacceptable and we apologise. We're looking into how it's happened. Well, uh, what do you mean how it's happened? I mean, what do you mean? What, so somebody put, well, presumably somebody went in there, spokesperson for the BBC, and went, let's have a competition. Let's make the answer Ian Brady, because that's really funny and topical, and we'll have different bits of music. The theme from the Brady Bunch, Psycho Killer, The Smiths, Suffer Little Children. I mean, why you didn't put zippity Doodah at the end, I can't imagine. I, seriously, I've never, I've never heard of anything like this. The worst I ever heard was years ago, when they were talking about the uh, murderer of the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe. And the presenter came off the back of it and played a song by Nicky Thomas. It was a reggae number called If I Had a Hammer. He was fired instantly. And I can't, I can't even see any way out of this for a stand-in presenter unless he wandered off to the toilet and somebody who was helping him out on the show thought, let's do this competition. But he must have voiced it. In fact, he did voice it. And, uh, and there was no apology on his Twitter. I'd have thought he would have said, I'm, I'm so, so sorry if anybody was offended, like the entire country. What have we just had in all the papers for, for, for days upon end? Anything relating to Ian Brady is bad news in this country. The good news is he's dead. But to sort of say we're looking... Uh, for the identity of a well-known person, and we're going to give you some musical clues, and you play those songs. You're either a sick person, Mr Turvey, or you're just not fit for purpose. I mean, that is just unbelievable. Can't wait to see what the BBC's answer to that one is. Can you wait to see? You know, well, unfortunately, he was having a bit of a turn that day and decided to play a competition. I mean, are there no... You know, was there not a producer who went, I don't really think this is right... And he went, well, we're running it anyway because it's topical. Perhaps he doesn't know. Perhaps he's stupid. I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that it was on the iPlayer, but they've since removed it. I've heard it. And it sounds, it's not, it's not even done as some sort of joke. They do it straight. They play it straight. And then play these, because when I first heard the first bit of music, I, I looked at the producer. I, don't, I didn't know. I knew the, the song. I didn't quite understand what, what the connection was. Then I heard the Brady Bunch, and that's when I realised. And then the Smiths, I didn't know, Suffer Little Children, but I know what it was written about. And then the, uh, the other piece of music was Talking Head Psycho Killer. And I thought, and this is a competition on BBC Radio Leeds, is it? Good God. Well, there you go. The BBC standard has obviously fallen beyond anything that I could ever imagine in my entire life. I'm sure I can't wait to hear the investigation, as I say. But uh, I wonder whether the papers will pick up on that one for tomorrow. I don't know how you could ever run a competition like that unless you didn't have a brain cell. Perhaps I've missed the point. Perhaps people sort of go for things like that in this day and age. And this bloke who's presenting, you know, I mean, has he got a brain? Is he somebody they've wheeled in from a hospital? Has he had a brain operation? Why would you ever want to do that? What a, what a dreadful thing to do to the people of that area who have, who have lost children. Uh, some to Ian Brady and the murderer Myra Hindley, the murdering paedophiles. And there at BBC Radio Leeds running a competition on it. 
not right, is it? I don't think it's right. Let's wait and see what happens, shall we? I'm sure it's got an end in sight to that story. And I'm sure it'll involve... Perhaps by uh, tomorrow we'll have quotes from Mr Turvey going, I'm terribly sorry, I had, had no idea, in which case he should have been dropped immediately. How can you not know about things like that? That's just offensive to people. That's just off- It was bad enough, the newspapers doing loads of stories without, you know, having him as a... I mean, um, was there a prize? I just wonder, do people phone up and go, oh, I'd like to get... Is it Winnie the Pooh? No. Is it Sooty? No. Oh, no. Keep the competition going. I mean, I, I don't know, understand. Did he then open the phone lines? We don't know. We didn't get that far into it. And was there a prize on offer? You know, you can win yourself a BBC uh, local radio Leeds badge or something for the day. Perhaps I solved the the mystery clue. I mean, it's just, I tell you, we've lost all sense. All sense, the BBC, as I say. They spend most of their life apologising, don't they, really? Sorry about Jimmy Savile. So sorry about Rolf Harris. So sorry about Nathan Turvey on Radio Leeds. Not good news for you. Not good news for you. If I was you, I'd issue an apology immediately on your Twitter feed. Because so far, we've seen no apology. Perhaps you think it's normal. Perhaps you think, I mean, seriously, you might believe that that is normal behaviour for BBC Local Radio. I mean, I'd, I'd, as I say, words fail me. Words fail me. That's by your BBC local radio. Steve Allen on LBC. The Trump women going to meet the Pope. The Pope's going, uh, today? They go, uh, today, your eminence, your holiness, uh, you're meeting Donald Trump. Oh, no. Yes, you've got to meet him. For f- p- pictures as well? Yes, pictures as well. Who's he bringing? Melania. Oh, God, not Melania. And uh, Ivanka. You what? Ivanka. No, 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 no. Oh, Ivanka. Right, yes. Uh, yeah, so they're all coming here. We'll have a picture taken. And the Pope tries to look benevolent, as indeed he does. But this one doesn't look as benevolent as the other ones have. There's something about some of the Popes where they look more Pope than the other one. This one just looks like a bloke. Looks like an ordinary bloke. I like the last Pope, and I like the Pope before him. I thought he was, he was lovely. He was my favourite. Out of all of them. I don't know anything about these uh, these people. But uh, apparently, as he left the Vatican, the president was overheard telling the pontiff, I won't forget what you said. What do you think he said to him? We're having egg and chips for tea. <laughs> I think he said, yeah, because the Pope's got to be very careful what he says to people. Because people then repeat it. You seriously think that the president, Trump, is actually going to be not repeating what, what, the, president, what, what the pontiff said? Of course he is. He's going to let it slip out and go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, the pontiff said, I really don't like you. Uh, I think you'll be out very shortly. I'm praying especially hard for this one. (laughs) Love it. Wouldn't it be great? Leading Britain's conversation. LBC with Steve Allen. Roger Moore died the other day and he was a gentleman. He was charming. He was he came in twice for me over the years, and uh, I was excited on both occasions. The last time he came in, he wasn't very well, but he was still dapper, he was smart, he was articulate, he was just nice. And uh, that's rubbed off on his children, who paid uh, a lovely tribute to say, you know, Pop, you were the best ever. He was, I could imagine, he'd married four times, so he obviously enjoyed a little bit of the old, um, how's your father? And uh, I thought he was a great Bond. I liked most of the Bonds. I didn't have a favourite Bond. I thought he was good of his period. I liked uh, Sean Connery. Um, I liked... I've liked all of them, actually. I don't think there's any that I haven't liked. I think they've all been good in their own way. But I think for him, because he was the saint, I think that's why I liked him. I've got a great story to read you in a a moment from an Irish journalist called uh, Podrick Belton. And it's quite a nice little story, actually. And I suppose everybody's got a story about somebody famous 
you know, haven't they? I mean, I've got stories about people famous, people that you've met and uh, and you go, God, they were lovely, or you've met somebody. Very rarely, seriously, I could probably count on one hand people who've been an absolute pain in the arse. <laughs> Sorry. I just said, okay, the work of think of describing it. You know, where you look at somebody and think, why have you bothered coming in for an interview? <laughs> it really isn't worth it. But literally, on one hand, and not even filling the hand up, because 99% of people are really, really nice. But uh, I've got this... I'll read it now to you, actually, because I'm not, I'm not particularly bothered about timekeeping on this programme. We didn't, didn't bother about it yesterday, and I'm certainly not going to bother about it now, not after this amount of time. So this is the Irish journalist, uh, Podrick Belton. He says, as a seven-year-old in about 1983, in the days before first-class lounges at airports, I was with my granddad in Nice Airport, and I saw Roger Moore sitting at the departure gate reading a paper. I told my granddad I'd just seen James Bond and asked if we could go over so I could get his autograph. My granddad had no idea who James Bond or Roger Moore was. So we walked over and he popped me in front of Roger Moore with the words, My grandson says you're famous. Can you sign this? As charming as you'd expect, Roger asks my name and Julie signs the back of my plane ticket. A fulsome note full of best wishes. I'm ecstatic. But as we head back to our seats, I glance down at the signature. Hard to decipher it, but it definitely doesn't say James Bond. My granddad looks at it, half figures out. It says Roger Moore. I've absolutely no idea who that is, and my heart sinks. I tell my granddad he signed it wrong. He's put somebody else's name. So my granddad heads back to Roger Moore, holding the ticket, which he's only just signed. I remember staying by our seats, and my granddad saying, He says you've signed the wrong name. He says your name is James Bond. Roger Moore's face crinkled up with realisation and he beckoned me over. When I was by his knee, he leant over, looked from side to side, raised an eyebrow and in a hushed voice said to me, I have to sign my name as Roger Moore because otherwise Blofeld might find out I was here. He asked me not to tell anybody that he'd just seen James Bond and he thanked me for keeping his secret. I went back to our seats, my nerves absolutely jangling with delight. My granddad asked if he signed James Bond. I said, no, I got it wrong. I was working with James Bond now. Many, many years later, I was working as a scriptwriter on a recording that involved UNICEF, and Roger Moore was doing a piece to camera as an ambassador. He was completely lovely, and whilst the cameramen were setting up, I told him in passing the story of when I met him in Nice Airport. He was happy to hear it, and he had a chuckle. He said, well, I don't remember, but I'm glad you got to meet James Bond. So that was lovely. And then he did something so brilliant. After the filming, he walked past me in the corridor, heading out to the car. But as he got level, he paused, looked both ways, raised an eyebrow, and in a hushed voice said, of course I remember our meeting in Nice, but I didn't say anything in there, because those cameramen, any one of them, could be working for Blofeld. I was as delighted at 30 as I had been at seven. What a man. What a tremendous man. Roger Moore, who died the other day at the age of uh, 89. Uh, yes, Roger Moore was a gentleman. I liked him as Ivanhoe. Shows how old I am. On James Bond, who else to nominate as 007 but James O'Brien? Yes. I quite like the idea, actually. James O'Brien being... but He's not sophisticated enough. Uh, Mr Moore and Mr Bond came in to speak to me way back in September 2014. He just brought a book out called Last Man Standing, Tales from Tinseltown. And I asked him about a fellow showbiz legend, the one and only Joan Collins. Joan, yeah, she was absolutely lovely. I've known her since she literally was a little more than a child. Um, and she, her father was an agent. He was my then wife's agent and became 
uh, mine, in, in a sense, getting me introductions to people, mm. uh, with a wonderful character, a very handsome man. And then Joan had this lovely sister, Jackie, mm. who's a very well-developed girl. Yeah. Uh, and an exceedingly talented writer, as Joan is. Joan writes Yes, Joan well. writes too, yes, yes. And then there's a, a brother, Bill, who's a little boy who liked playing with trains and cars and now is a sports car collector and uh, expensive car collector. Uh, so, yes, so Joan I've, I've known and worked with over the years. She's lovely. She's I, I've, uh, I've, I've seen her over the years at various yeah. uh, events. And she, she just was very kindly, did something that I asked her to do, as has done Ewan McGregor and, and Michael Caine and uh, Stephen Fry, which is, we're recording Hans Christian Andersen stories which are illustrated, be loaded down line, for uh, proceeds, parts of proceeds go to UNICEF, and it's a way of introducing children that are not reading to Hans Christian Andersen, who is the most important writer for young people. And still raising adults. money for UNICEF, still after all these years. Well, the, we need the money. UNICEF needs it. If you think that last week, with all the crisis in the world, yeah. Uh, 10,000, no, 1,000 metric tons, which that's something that fills up 19 jumbo jets, yeah. shipped out last week, going to for Syria, for Iraq, for Central African Republic, for Southern Sudan. All these uh, countries, that these, these are the, the emergencies we know about, the loud ones. Yes. I, I always explain UNICEF's work as being emergencies loud and emergencies quiet. The quiet emergency is always there. The loud one is we know it's, it's what's going on in Iraq and Syria and what's going on in, in, in Africa, the Central Africa. But there's the silent emergency, which is the lack of safe drinking water, which is the need for immunization. We thought we got rid of polio a few years ago. Mm. It's coming back. We have Ebola, Yes, which uh, all the all these things they they just come along, but they have to be combated all the time. That's why all those things have to be shipped out, and why we have to collect money to pay for it. So Roger Moore talking to me uh, way back in September 2014. Jackie Collins, incidentally, died the year later. The year later, he was talking whilst uh, Jackie was still alive. Uh, so Roger Moore, who died yesterday at the age of. 89. His uh, book is called Last Man Standing, Tales from Tinseltown. You can hear the slowing down, though, can't you, in his voice. It's only when I listen back to interviews, and I never listen back to interviews. It's always, always a bit disappointing me to hear them back again, because I suddenly realised, much as though, you know, he was a lovely man, you could hear that he was slowing down a little bit. But f- fantastic. He spent most of that interview with his uh, shoes and socks off. Show me his feet. In fact, we actually talk about his feet quite a lot in the interview, I seem to remember, because he was diabetic and was talking about how he has to sort of cope with things like that. Charming man. Lovely, lovely man. I noticed that voice. Roger Moore was like a male equivalent of Joanna Lumley. Yes, I suppose you could say that. Nobody did Bond better. I thought he was suave, sophisticated. I thought he was great. His kids should be immensely proud that uh, people loved him. I loved him in The Persuaders as well. Uh, and he did have four wives. He was um, he <laughs> like the ladies, did young Roger. And so he had four wives. 
Uh, I think the first one was uh, was Doon, then there was Dorothy, then Louisa and Christina. And uh, they also, they had a, a sort of a rough sort of look that was all their own. It was obviously a certain type that he went for, but who cares? Goodness sakes, Roger Moore would go out with who he likes. And uh, you do tend to find people in the business, because if you're making a movie, oh, the one person he never liked in movies... He says, uh, he said, I was, I was always told, it's an old line, this, uh, if you haven't got anything nice to say about anybody, don't say anything at all. Whereas me, I'd pop it on a postcard and do it on the programme, you know, if you don't like somebody. And um, it's, it, it's very interesting that the one person he didn't like was Grace Jones. But there again, nobody likes Grace Jones. That stuck-up woman who started laying in, in A View to a Kill... But uh, she started laying into Russell Harty. He'd done an interview with her, and then he turned his back to interview somebody else, and she started hitting him. A rather stupid, talentless woman who sort of just exhibited herself as the fool which I thought she was. Steve Allen on LBC. There's a piece in one of the papers today talking about uh, women who are still getting sex over 50. I know, I know, I went all... Don't, don't, please don't talk about sex at this time of the morning, because it's unnecessary, isn't it? It's unnecessary most of the time, as far as I'm concerned. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a Saturday night, you know, if, if there's a, a tea in the month or something like that. But, I mean, oh, no, we don't, don't bother with it. I'd rather do a jigsaw, to be honest with you. A jigsaw of people having sex. But anyway, so, uh, no, I just joked about that, but <laughs> I've got photos. Uh, so, I um, also think, yeah, they, so they were going, because I think Anthea Turner, God rest her, said, um, oh, yeah, she was still getting sex, and and, all, and she'd sort of said, oh, sometimes I just get my boobs out. And I thought, to who, dear? Yourself in the mirror. The only woman who's in love with herself. She can't go past a mirror without licking it. And so I'm assuming she must be on Tinder or something, because otherwise she normally parades all her boyfriend. It was me with a boyfriend, because she's not very successful at relationships, Anthea. In fact, really, she's not very successful at very much at the moment. Folding towels she can do. She does folding towels well, but... Uh, not really enough. And she's got the divorce guide. I mean, because you're going to take her advice, aren't you? Goodness me. going to take Anthea Turner's advice on how to have a divorce, how to go through it. What a patronising bird she is. I say bird. She's an old woman now, isn't she, really? But I'm sure she'll find somebody eventually to spend her twilight year in. Steve, sex over 50 can be very dangerous. Indeed, you should slow down, especially in a built-up area. It's true, actually. But uh, sex over 50. Some, some people assume, I mean, I'm only guessing. But, I mean, you know, you can have sex into your 80s. Didn't Charlie Chaplin? He was having sex into his 90s. I know. Don't go there, Stephen, for goodness sake. It's ridiculous. Sex at 75, Steve. I just took a leaflet out of my letterbox informing me I can enjoy sex at 75. It's ideal because I live at 67, so it's not far to walk home afterwards. It's the old Bob Monkhouse joke, isn't it, really? uh, Worth repeating, I think, almost on a, a regular basis. Steve Allen on LBC. I can't cope with the heat. I've decided already. When they go warm, hot and sunny, you know they mean hot, dry, sunny, miserable. And there's Darren upset as well. So, you know, do you not do heat? See, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. It's just, it makes me ill. But I went out, I had to go and collect my medicine yesterday. And because it was so hot, I had to bring my insulin back. And you've got to take it from one fridge and put it straight into the fridge. Otherwise, it sort of loses its potency. So I'm, like, rushing as quickly as I could to get home with me, with me bag of goodies. Because it comes in a carrier bag, my medicine. It's fantastic. I love it, I tell you. I'm, are you just a Viking? Oh, really? Is that good? Is, is that pillaging and all that kind of stuff? I can't remember, actually, what happened on those long boats. I was down under the deck, rowing like mad. My little chains jangling away. <laughs> I think I could have row, rowed one of those longboats. I could have done that, one of those Viking longboats. They found one, didn't they, in uh, Sweden. I think Sweden, they found one. And then it burnt in their museum. The museum burnt down and took the Viking longship with it. 
a bit up Heliar. Up Heliar, isn't it? Which is where they sort of burn one. They have this sort of thing down. Down in the uh, sort of Biddeford and places like that, they do these big carnivals and they have big themes and, and everything. I don't know enough about it. Shetland's the big one. Do they do flaming torches? Love a flaming torch. You can't beat it. Really? Are they burn a boat? There you go, Julian. That's a place for you to go to, isn't it? You could be the captain of the ship. You could stand there on the helm, you know. My heart will go on. You could do that bit, couldn't you? You could sort of sing that little bit as we push you out. <laughs> I mean, in a caring way, of course. We, we will be filming your demise and putting it out on YouTube. <laughs> I've never been to any of these things, but I quite like the idea of people sort of going through, you know, flaming helmets and all that. I just quite... I like that idea. I like history. Oh, this is Apelia. Uh, and this is where they do it. it. It literally means up, up yours, holy, 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 up, up, yay, holy, holy day. It refers to any variety of fire festivals held in the Shetland Islands uh, in the middle of winter, which marks the end of the Yule season. And so they have a procession of up to about a thousand geysers, 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 geysers. Oh, right. Is that what they're called? In, in Lerwick, and considerably lower numbers in the more rural festivals, formed into squads, and they march through the town. Must be quite frightening if you just move there, and all of a sudden there's sort of men turning up on your doorstep with a flaming helmet in front of you. I mean, that's, I'm really hot. Well, I better it blooming well would be. Very. First one, the first Yule torch procession took place in 1876, and the first uh, torch celebration on Up Heliade, which is basically Up Yours Day, that's, uh, that took place in 1881. It's amazing, isn't it, really? I must go. I must go and do these kind of things. I feel a kinship to Scotland. I don't know why I don't speak the language or anything like that. I just like the idea of lots of men with flaming helmets walking in front of me. I quite fancy that idea. I think anything that's sort of tradition. And then they, they have this sort of replica, and they, uh, they, 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 they sing a song. The, uh, the geysers sing the traditional song, which is the Norseman's Home. Basically, up yours, he's come back again. And um, so let's, uh, let's all go there. And then any available large room is pressed into service. So, and then the geyser squad visit every hall in turn to dance and drink with the guests, still singing the same song, The Norseman's Bloody Home Again. And by the time you've got to about the fifth place, the, uh, the geysers are completely, completely K-line. They've got no idea. Just, the, the Norseman's gone home. He's come back again. He's gone home again. He's gone to heaven. We've burnt him in his boat, you know, and so it goes on. But that's what people do. I mean, dozens of squads. The day after is the hop night, where further dances for those able to stand take place. Unfortunately, the geysers by this time are face down in the gutter. Would you like to come and dance and sing your song, The Norseman's Home Again? Bloody well don't want to, couldn't care less about the sodding Norseman. <laughs> well, we've got photographs and everything. It proves it. It's nice. And the, and the, uh, where do we think Darren is? I think he's probably standing there with a pint in one hand to the, to the side, staying well away from it, if he's got any sense. I don't, I don't see you singing The Norseman's Home again, or, or you being the guy's a jar, who is the principal. Oh, Jarl. Jarl. It's quite difficult, isn't it, really? Is that a Scottish word, or is that a... It's Norse. Oh, right. Jarl. The Jarl squad is made up of the guys at Jarl supporters. God, a nightmare, isn't it? And the, the so the principal of many squads and the participants are called geysers. They look quite they seem a nice friendly little bunch, don't they? Cutthroat so and so. But um, I I know and don't think I'm not impressed. <laughs> you can't beat that. If you see some of these horns, ladies and gentlemen, you 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 would be as impressed as me. There's something frightening about Norse 
Because you always... Nobody ever says to you, Norse. You immediately think of somebody with a beard. You never think with a, you know, with a huge helmet with the horns on. But I don't quite understand that. Unless they're going to sort of put their head down and run into people. What's the point of that? You just get yourself stuck on door frames as you're going through, don't you? I've come to seeing the Norse... Oh, bloody helmet again. You know, and you sort of take it. Yes. Oh, no, I don't remember the Turkish ones. They've, they had a sword in the top of it. Oh, dear. I don't like the sound of that. But uh, I, I don't. I, I probably would have run from the uh, from the Norse as they were sort of coming across the sea. But I like the idea that they still have this this celebration of Upheliar. I think it's I think it's brilliant. It must look fantastic. Also, oh right, it's amazing how many different helmets there are. This is oh this is an Ottoman. This is an Ottoman helmet, isn't it? I tell you where you want to go to, and you'll be very frightened if you go to the V&A Museum. They've got Japanese fighting warriors outfits. Oh, my God. These people, they've got face masks that cover the whole face. The whole thing is all... You've never seen like it. It's, it's beautiful, but at the same time, them rushing towards you put the fear of God into you. And they've got them just in the, um, in the V&A. Just you go through the front door, go to the right, and they're in there. The Japanese warriors. They must have been a fearsome lot. Fearsome lot. Whereas, you know, the British, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't look fearsome, but by God, we knew how to fight. We knew how to fight. But I'm pleased about that. Steve Allen on LBC. Front page of the uh, Mirror. They're still going on about Pippa Middleton. Still going on about Pippa Middleton. Still going on about, you know, the £3,000 a night love isle. And so they've got a picture of them at the beach. Diply in love. I mean, who? Pippa Middleton. Who is she? Nobody. She's Mr and Mrs Middleton's daughter, the other one's done quite well. This one's married a hedge fund manager. But I said, who cares? Who cares? But apparently they had SAS security at the wedding. For what? They had the naffest food ever. Smoked salmon for starters. How original. I thought we'd have something really interesting. Steak and chips. Miniature version. You know, I've been to parties. Well, we've had parties here where they've had miniature burgers, miniature fish and chips, miniature... You know, miniature everything. I don't know why. Like, can we have the full-size food, please? So, at, at this wedding, they had sort of a wedding breakfast. Again, no mention of sausages, eggs, hash browns, all the usual thing that the British people eat. But, uh, no, we don't, uh, don't get anything like that. You get sort of what I call poncy food, which is like, can I have some more? But you don't want to look as though you're going up there to eat again. You go, God, dying for a fag. <sighs> they got any booze? You know, and they, they had a whiskey tent, apparently. I don't know, that's where you go to to get some whiskey. It'd be awful if you walk in there and old Davy Boy Beckham's in there. You know, I'd like to try some of my whiskey. You know. Actually, one of the critics over the weekend was a little bit rude to him about his acting, saying don't actually give up the day job. Dave. Which I think summed it up. You know, because he was rubbish first time round. He's not going to improve, is he, really? The cuties who stole the show. A glorious souvenir of the real stars on Pippa's big day. George, who got into trouble with his mum when she went, shh! <laughs> Shut up! I'm going to be king one day and you'll be kicked out. You know, you can imagine, can't you? And of course, see, they put them all in knickerbockers. This is apparently what middle-class England do now for their weddings. It's deeply embarrassing. Deep, but why they just can't wear normal little suits or something like that? I mean, I've got no idea, but knickerbockers. Not even from a British company. A Spanish company, ladies and gentlemen. Um, honestly. Look, they, I mean, do you think George is badly behaved? Of course he is. Every child of that age is badly behaved. What do they say? The terrible twos, the terrible threes, terrible fours. Of course. George, eat that. No, I won't. I'm going to be king and you're going to be living in a small house. Now get out of my bedroom. 
Of course. Of course, they're everybody, every kid. Because they're children. They don't know what they're born into, do they? They just know that they're going out somewhere for a wedding. They get in a car. They go home. They play with their toys and they go to bed. They don't. He, he doesn't sit there, you know, going, here's my bank account. Let me have a check. 33,200. I'm not given enough pocket money. You know, they, they don't know. They're just little children. It'll be until he's, you know, I should imagine, 10 or 11 before he realises exactly who he is. By which time he'll be a nightmare. You could just tell just by looking at him. He was standing the other day, this little picture. He's holding a basket. Not the butcher's picture I've ever seen. No, little kid. But he was sort of like a page boy and they had to throw penicillin. Or I don't know what they were throwing. It was flower petals or something like that, which is all very exciting. But, uh, you know, they had a few of them, but they've all got funny surnames. Uh, Meg's yes to Harry after all night wedding booze up. Yeah, oh, drinky poos, Harry. I couldn't drink anything else. I've got a drive. You know, there's no way that they would have had a booze up. He was driving. He went back to Ken Palace to pick her up and then take her back there. Why? She couldn't have got a minicab like anybody else or a black cab. People would have fought over that one, wouldn't they? Hello, darling, where are you going? Bucklebury. Sorry? Bucklebury. I've never bloody heard of it either. Bucklebury. I don't know. Just take me to Bucklebury. But uh, Harry drives back. Come on, old girl. Get in the old car. Should we get engaged or should we really wind the press up? It's great fun, this. Those are all the highlights I've got time for this morning. Don't forget, I'm back live from five o'clock tomorrow morning and we'll be with you for the 4am spike all next week too. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.